Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico. We've got a, as always, we've got a great show for you tonight. We're going to be starting off with yet another great round of Coach's Corner, and I've got the panel uh, waiting here in the wings, and I'll bring them out here in just a moment. But uh, let me also remind everybody that we are live every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central here on blogtalkradio.com. And the best way, of course, to find us is to go to blogtalkradio.com and up in the search key type Golf Talk Live and that will take you to the main page. And you can either listen to us live on Thursdays from 6 to 8, uh, or you can scroll down to the on-demand section and listen when it's convenient for you, as, of course, all of the shows uh, are auto-recorded every Thursday night. So um, for those of you who can't join us live, uh, not to worry, you can listen there. Or you can also go uh, to a couple of other mediums if you want to go to iTunes.com or Stitcher.com. And under the podcast section, just, again, type Golf Talk Live, and uh, you can listen to other of those mediums if that uh, is to your liking. Uh, always uh, look forward to um, hearing from you. We'd love for you to call into the program during our live broadcast Thursdays uh, from 6 to 8 p.m. And uh, to do so, you can call area code uh, 646-716-4667. Uh, or you're welcome to email any questions or comments to me uh, to my email, and it's ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. And also, if you're in the industry, uh, you don't necessarily have to be a golf professional. Maybe you're an author. Uh, or uh, somebody that maybe has created a, a great product or service maybe uh, to help your fellow golfers out there, uh, I'd love to hear from you. I'd be more than happy to work you into the mix. So, again, you could just reach out to me at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. And uh, always update every week, of course, on social media. You can go to facebook.com forward slash blog is the main page uh, on Facebook, and you can just uh, see all the updates there each every week. I post uh, who's going to be on the show and uh, who's going to be on the Coach's Corner panel, that sort of thing. So you can go there. Uh, you can also, on my personal page at linkedin.com, uh, I also post it through there, and also on Twitter. My handle on Twitter, is, of course, is Ted and Buck CEO, and that's CEO in capital letters. And again, once again, thank you for all of the recent followers. Um, as I mentioned, we've got a great uh, show starting off here with uh, Coach's Corner panel. And then a little bit later on the broadcast, on the second half, I'm going to be joined by my very special guest this evening, uh, Tiffany Mack Fitzgerald, and she is the founder of Black Girls Golf, uh, a new organization that she uh, put together uh, just a few years ago. And actually, she was referred to me by a, a guest that uh, was on my show uh, probably about three or four weeks ago, uh, Rick Lucas, of course, the director at the PGM program at Clemson University. He was the one that uh, sort of put us together and, and helped made this evening happen. So I'm very excited to talk to her and, and find out some of the things that she's uh, doing with uh, Rick at Clemson and, and also uh, beyond. So she'll be on in the second half of the program. But let me just uh, get ready and, uh, to bring out the panel here in Coach's Corner. Let me just tell you a little bit about each of them. Of course, uh, they've all been on many, many times. The first one, of course, is John Decker. And he's currently teaching uh, a teacher professional at the New Albany Country Club in New Albany, Ohio, uh, as well as a uh, teacher professional 
at golfswing.com. You can find him there as well. Make sure you check that out. In 2015, he was named the Southern Ohio Teacher of the Year. Prior to that, he was the head instructor at the Grand Cypress Academy of Golf in Orlando, Florida, where he worked under uh, two great uh, top 100 instructor, instructors, excuse me, Fred Griffin and Phil Rogers. Uh, he's also the author of a great book, Golf is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game, uh, which also includes now a new Bible study with the book. And he's also a motivational speaker that travels literally all over the United States. Uh, second, of course, is none other than Jamie Leno-Zimron. She's a Class A LPJ teach professional and has been uh, a very active part of our Coach's Corner team uh, and always up to some interesting things, of course. Uh, she's a passionate pioneer in bo- body-mind approaches to peak performance and well-being. Uh, she's also been both a junior and senior golf champion and is the founder of Kiai Golf Training and the Kiai Way, Inc., as well as Every Businesswoman Golf. Uh, she's known as the Golf Sensei uh, Master Instructor. She brings holistic teachings to golfers and leaders. Uh, called from a rich background as a fifth-degree Aikido black belt, uh, also a psychologist, sports counselor, corporate speaker, and, of course, an executive coach. And rounding out the panel, of course, tonight is, of course, uh, one of my favorites on the panel, Clint Wright. He's a 30-year member of the PGA. Uh, also, he's a partner at uh, TGM Golf, excuse me, a uh, big proponent of the R3 approach, of course, as I've mentioned many times on the show, and in my opinion, one of the best covering the short game today. Uh, plus, he's, as I said, one of my favorite guest panelists here on the Coach's Corner panel. So, guys, uh, welcome to Coach's Corner, and thank you for coming on tonight. I'm glad to be here, Ted. Thank you, Ted. Thank you, Ted. All right. You're very welcome, guys. Um, all right, so one of the things that uh, I wanted to do tonight, and I'm, I'm going to give credit where credit is due. I, I, I sort of gave a sneak peek to, uh, to one of you earlier uh, as to what we're going to talk about, and this is really taken from a series that Cindy Miller uh, put together called Own Your Game, and there's really three parts to this. We're going to talk about uh, the first part, looking back and sort of taking stock is in part one. And it's really a reflection on the off-season. So certain parts of the United States, of course, and, and, and abroad uh, are all sort of gearing down uh, for some of the cooler months. Uh, of course, not for us in Florida and, and out on the West Coast in California and, of course, uh, Nevada and, uh, and, and other areas out there uh, that have the benefit of playing all year round. But for some of you up in the Northeast particularly and, and even the Northwest, uh, it's going to be getting a little bit cooler and you want to prepare uh, for some things in the off-season. So the first... Uh, thing that we're going to talk about tonight and John if you don't mind I'm going to start with you is really a time for reflection Um, so talk about some of the things that you know when you're working with your students and you maybe you're in a position that you're coming into this off season for many what are some of the things that you want to talk to them about uh, as uh, they go into this sort of uh, traditionally lazy season or off season what are some things that you want to talk to them about well Ted thanks again for having me on the show and Clint and Jamie I'm, I'm looking forward to being on it with you tonight um, that's a great question. Um, the first thing that I do is, you know, I, I, I like to ask a lot of questions about, you know, um, what their scores are doing, you know, what's going on in the golf course. Uh, because my main focus is, is with players who, who are already playing the game uh, is, is to lower their scores. And, to, and, you know, where is it that they're losing shots? Is it, do they feel like they need distance? Do they feel like they need it uh, in the short game? Uh, you know, putting, things like that. So I kind of want to have a gauge and say, okay, now during the off season, these are the things that we, we can do. We know that we have to stay in shape. I mean, I don't care who you are, whether you're a tour player or whether uh, you're a beginner or whatever, you, you have to physically stay in golf shape because as you go through Thanksgiving and the holidays and you eat and, and sit mm-hmm. around, uh, we all have a tendency to, to put on a few pounds. And so being able to uh, stay in golf shape, 
whether whether they're walking on a treadmill, uh, using medicine balls, uh, you know, whatever it is, and and trying to give them a fair assessment. Maybe you know, and and you know, j- nicely saying to them, you know, maybe we need to step up our you know aerobic activity a little bit to lose a little bit more weight or whatever it is that they need to do. Um, I try to talk to them, um, you know, giving them some strength exercises. In fact, I just had a lesson today, and I gave them several exercises. Uh, and, you know, a lot of times I'll refer them to YouTube. There's some great uh, stretching exercises that you can find on there as well. Um, but I think mm-hmm. the one thing, if you have one thing to do over the winter, if you can get out, if it's a day when you can get out and hit shots, instead, instead of just standing there and hitting drivers, I always try to get people to hit pitch shots. If you can learn – if you can hit the 30, uh, you know, the 20 and 30-yard uh, shots uh, in your practice sessions, uh, it helps you in your short game, obviously, because you're going to score better. If you hit, The closer you hit the ball, the hole, the easier it is to score. But the second thing is, is it has the motion of the full swing, so it's a great way to keep your full swing in tune as well. Right. Well said. Um, Jamie, I want to uh, just add a, a little bit uh, for you so that obviously we don't get um, too repetitive in our, in our responses. But, you know, there's some questions really that I think as, as golfers that we need to ask ourselves as we transition into this part of the season, uh, for those of you that, that have to. And, and they are the following. And maybe you can just brush on a, on a few of them here. Um, but one of the questions that you, you want to ask yourself is, first off, what you did well. Um, you want to focus on some of the things that went well throughout the season um, but you also want to uh, assess what needs work, as, as John pointed out. Um, and then, Clint, I'm going to save the last one for you because uh, I think that um, it, it's applicable and you'll understand when it comes out. So on those two, Jamie, maybe you can talk about um, what you want the golfers to be focusing on as far as what they did well and also um, how you sort of help them through that transition period, um, focusing on what also needs to work uh, – sorry, what needs work uh, as they – get ready to uh, tackle a new season in a few months? Sure. Well, I think we already had some really great information in that first response. So, um, And I would add to that that it's always good to be positive. So framing and looking at what did I do well? What did you do well? Where did you improve? And especially what helped? I think it's really important to identify what uh, helps us in our learning process, what helps us in our improvement process. So if it was fitness, if it was practicing more, if it was getting on the golf course more, if it was playing some fun competitive games, you know, but being sure that when you're out on the golf course, you're putting a little pressure on yourself uh, or maybe taking pressure off yourself helped you. People are all different. Mm -hmm. But really looking at what are the things that have contributed to improvement in the, uh, you know, identifying where improvement was, and what are the things that have contributed to that? Because then you want to do more of that, obviously. Um, and then, you know, and, and then I think it's about really just being honest. Uh, a lot of people keep statistics, which is really very helpful, because then you have some data. Then you have some numbers you can mm-hmm. see. Was I in the fairway? How many uh, GIR, GIRs did I have? Uh, was the problem uh, too many blow-up holes that, that ruined a score? or uh, running out of energy. Maybe I need to pay it to, uh, more attention to hydrating and nutrition on the golf course. Uh, maybe it was uh, I need to improve sand shots, so we want to work on that. But, uh, th- you know, this sort of thing, really um, being specific, have, being able to identify, and then being really honest about uh, where, you know, where are there 
maybe some some uh, gaps or some weaknesses in you know in the game, and it, that could be a mental thing as well. Maybe a focus mm-hmm. is self talk. Um, so I think it's just about really being honest and also identifying, um, you know, really feeling good and focusing on the positive. Uh, being honest about what can what needs work and being specific mm. and and being able to identify hmm this is how i i learn best this is how i improve this is what works for me because it's really individual and when you know that for yourself i think that you know you can you can take stock in a way that's going to be really productive for the next season a uh, great answer jamie thank you and and you're exactly right some great points in there as well and and clint um you know, the, the obvious last question, you know, is what are you as a golfer willing to do? Uh, in other words, you know, you've, you've taken stock, as, as both of them have pointed out. You've looked at uh, some of the areas that you've done really well with, um, maybe some areas that need for improvement. Um, but then the last question that you have to ask yourself, okay, what am I willing to do um, now as I come into the off season in order to get ready for, for next season. So maybe talk a little bit, if you've got some things to add uh, in the other areas as well, by all means, feel free, but uh, you know, let's, let's set the folks up for success, if you will, in this off season, what do they need to be thinking about? What do they need to do? Uh, and what are they willing to do um, to get ready? Um, how do we, how do we sort of frame that up for our golfers to make sure that they're capitalizing on whatever uh, needs to be done uh, again to transition into next season. I think Jamie brought up a really good point. John's ideas behind staying fit and 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 working on the short game obviously is something that I would I would be highly encouraging of. But the thing we have to also look at were they satisfied with this year's season? What happens to the player that had a really good year? Uh, I think Jamie's point comes up to a point that says. What did you do to get better? What path did you take? What drills did you use? Things of this nature. It's very important for people to understand that because most folks have a pretty good idea of what they're capable of doing. And so with that in mind, your your question is, you know, in my part of the country, we play year-round, but, you know, it's a little bit, you know, it's dark at 5 o'clock and, so they don't have time to play that afternoon round anymore. So what I would encourage them to do is are you willing to take that only hour you've got after work to work on the things that maybe you need to improve on, but most importantly to maintain the things you were doing well? Yes. I mean, we, you, you reach a point to where, you know, physically the time you want to spend, it's as good as you, you very well may be able to hit it. And so you have to be able to be, like Jamie said, be honest with yourself and realize, hey, I had a pretty good ball striking year. You know, I drove the ball pretty good based on my stats. I maybe hit acceptable number of greens. My handicap stayed level, didn't go up, didn't go down, had a decent average year. So I would encourage people to maintain what they thought they did well, spend time with that. But, but more importantly, they have to be committed to lowering their score if that's what is important to them. And as John said, that's, you know, you want to work on your short game. The closer you hit it, the easier it is. I mean, that was, that was the thing that Hogan was attributed to saying, how you make more birdies. Well, you just hit it closer to the hole, you know? <laughs> right. And, you know, so if, if you're, if you can be honest with yourself, says, look, I, I drove the ball decent compared to other people. I hit it many greens. You have to then go to the source. 
And the source of a better score is what we push all the time from 50 to 75 yards to the hole. If there's any place you're going to get better, that's where your score is going to come down. And be dedicated to that. You have to be honest with yourself. As Jamie said, do you really want to lower your score? And do you really want to just go out to the practice green or the chipping green and hit chips and pitches and putts that's going to improve your score? Or do you want to spend a little time working on things you already do well? Yeah. Um, again, well said, Clint. Uh, great way to, to sort of wrap that segment up. The other thing, too, uh, I think, guys, is this. I think that hopefully uh, for those golfers out out there that maybe set some goals uh, this year, this is a great opportunity during the time of reflection to really see, did I meet the goals that I set uh, for, for 27, uh, 2017? Um, you know, what goals did I meet? What goals didn't? And, and, you know, maybe get into a further assessment as to why I didn't reach those goals. What didn't I do or what did I do to, to achieve the goals I set? Uh, and what didn't I do maybe to, uh, to not uh, achieve the goals that I wanted to? And then also, um, John, would you agree that this is during the off season is an important time to set yourself up uh, for what goals you might want uh, for 2018? Um, what are your thoughts there? Yes. Um, you know, one of the things that um, talking about goals is I like to encourage my students um, to take the, the majority of their lessons uh, in the spring. I want them to play golf. Uh, and I, um, you know, what, one of the first things that I want to assess with them is, is I want to try to get them on a plan for the year and say, hey, you know, as one of your goals, let's try to take, you know, our lessons earlier and not wait a week before the member guest tournament to take our lessons. Um, the, the second thing is, is yes, I want to, I specifically talk to them about, you know, you know, their goals, whether it's their scoring average, whether it's trying to make the high school golf team, whether it's, uh, you know, learning how to just play the game, uh, being introduced to the game, uh, whatever it is, I, I, I get into the specifics. And, you know, with, um, I like to, to, you know, throw out some, especially for the better players, um, is, you know, have them look at things that maybe they've never, never thought about. For example, uh, Jamie brought up the greens and regulation. There's a lot of golfers who don't even know what that means. Because for a lot of golfers, right. if, you're a high, high, if you're a high handicapper, you cannot expect to have a green in regulation uh, like a tour player. Your green in regulation is three on a par four. Your, your green in regulation on, in, on, a par, on a par three is really two because you're not a scratch golfer. You're, a par to me is um, – if there's one thing I could change about golf, it would be the, the par and bogey and birdie and stuff. It's a number. And so I try to get people to think in the terms of this is, you know, you're a 25 handicapper. Your goal is to get it on the green in three shots. And that's the way I uh, would do it. And when you change those parameters around and don't put the parameters that the tour players have, it really helps them to take the pressure off. Yeah, that's some great, uh, great observations, some great uh, points as well. And, and Jamie, you know, one of the other things I think too, during the off season, obviously uh, again, we want this uh, opportunity to be created for them to, to reflect and, and look at the past season. And obviously we want them to gear up. Um, but as, as we've all understood and realized over the years that a lot of golfers sometimes just sort of plunk themselves down uh, in the lazy boy or on the couch or whatever the case may be, and don't always do the things that they should be doing. If in a perfect world, um, which we know it's not, um, what would you like, uh, or how much, uh, let me rephrase this differently. How much time 
ideally for somebody to really uh, maintain, as Clint talked about, or even improve, should golfers be spending in their off-season, uh, even if they can't get out and play uh, out in the golf course because of uh, inclement weather, what could they be doing? How much time is reasonable uh, to be expected for some of our golfers out there to be spending in the off-season to keep their game tuned up or even improve? What can they do to, to do that in the off-season? Well, you know, I think that so many people who are really big golf nuts come from places with bad weather. <laughs> and what I mean is that I yeah. grew up in Wisconsin, and, you know, we could mm-hmm. play for three, four months out of the year. I've got a lot of students and clients in Canada, also in the, the um, East Coast, and those are places with colder weather. And I find that they are, mm-hmm. in a sense, the biggest golf nuts. They, they just love it. Yeah, I think partly because they can only play for such a short season. And so one of right. the things that I've, that, that I've done is, is some of your listeners may know, and you know, Ted, uh, with Kiai Golf, blending martial arts, is two things. One is to take this concept of training into our mm-hmm. golf and our golf improvement. And what I mean by that is just what you're referring to. You don't get any better by once in a while um, or even once a week doing something. Everything takes practice. I'm actually starting to play my banjo again, and I put in about 10 to 20 to 30 minutes whenever I can. I stop during the day and just instead of thinking I have to have one big, long session, which I rarely get a chance to, I try to put in 15 to 30 minutes uh, throughout the day or, you know, once or twice a day. Uh, the, the more frequency gives repetition, that helps our neural pathways to develop. It helps the brain-body system. So it's that repetition that's so important. So given inclement weather, snow, cold, you can't get outside, I've de- developed exercises that are for golf fitness. They're called golf bliss, you know, balance, lengthen, integrate, stretch, strengthen, and also what I call swing patterning exercises. And they all use your golf club. You can do them indoors. You don't have to go somewhere. You don't have to spend extra money. It doesn't matter what the weather is out there. And it's possible to do these kinds of exercises um, every day or every other day. So I think what's important is to find ways to work on your swing, to work on your fitness, to work on your, for example, your rotational ability or the muscles that give you balance, um, the mus- uh, having flexibility so that you have better extension in your backswing and your follow-through, things like that. And those are all doable indoors, and they directly relate to your golf swing. Of course, there's yoga for golf and, and, and that sort of stuff. Uh, so I just think that this, this notion of regular practice and that is mm-hmm. doable indoors, uh, that's doable in short chunks of time, and knowing that you're working on your neurophysiology, basically. You're strengthening your body-mind connection. You're building what golfers typically call muscle memory. Um, with muscle memory, I always ask people, well, what are you remembering? <laughs> it really, I think it's important <laughs> to have um, some, some correct motions that you're working on right. and that you're very conscious of. And you can do that. What's beautiful in the off-season or, or indoors is you can slow that down without the pressure of the golf ball or a score or anything in front of you. And you can really have that sort of inward focus working with your own body-mind connection. So, you know, those are a couple of things that I think are really great uh, that the people can do and need to know that that it's that daily re- repetition or what, what we call training in the martial arts that is so important and that will really give a great payoff. 
a very quick story. I had I had uh, a woman found my DVD series. This is like oh seven eight years ago. She found it online. She bought it for her husband in New York, and he started doing all my exercises in his basement where he'd set up a, a, a net for his, to hit some balls during the winter. That's all he did. And then in May, with the first warm day, he goes out to a driving range. They've and there's some guys there with uh, you know launch monitors and everything. So he gets on and he starts hitting all these shots. And they said to him, "Where do you winter, sir?" And he said huh? He didn't even know what that verb meant. Where do you winter? Uh, he said, I've just been in my basement all winter. They said, well, what have you been doing? He said, I don't know. I just got these DVDs. I started doing this stuff. And they said, well, your readings are, are amazing and your consistency is the most impressive thing. Yeah. And, and that just goes to the point that, you know, time well spent, you know, a lot of people, guys, and, and, and we all know this, uh, we're all on some level sometimes can be guilty of it, but, uh, and that's a great story. That's a great example, Jamie, and really goes to proving the point that we're trying to talk about here um, for those tuning into the show is, you know, regardless of how much time, if it's 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes a day um, or even 15 twice a day um, can can help build those, those memories and that training, as you pointed out, Jamie, um, so well that by the time you get to – you're on season again you've carried yourself through those three or four months depending on where you are um and not just sort of sat there doing nothing um and then expecting to have a golf game when you come out uh you know for the spring thaw it just doesn't happen um clint i want to move into the next segment if we can just to keep things going along because i I don't unless there's any specific you want to add to that um but part two of this is really um i've sort of phrased this as seeking professional help um and i don't necessarily mean on the uh uh, psychiatrist chair uh, or couch. Um, I'm talking about, of course, professional help such as ourselves. Um, mm-hmm. So th- the question to you, Clint, is this. I want you to explain to the listeners, out because there's a lot of people out there that want to improve on golf and they you know, get in their mind, they say, well, I don't really need to take lessons or I don't want to take lessons, I just don't understand or I don't think it's going to help me. Can you explain to the listeners out there, first and foremost, number one, why it's important at some point uh, to seek out professional help, um, i.e. coach, teach professional, what have you, however you want to phrase it, um, and what they need to be looking for when they do such thing. Well, I, I, I think that uh, Jamie also brought up the point about why you need to seek an understanding of what you're supposed to be doing. And basically the question you ask, what are you trying to remember? Um, you know, what are you really working on? And, and, we all have a tendency to seek out expertise when there's something wrong. You know, mm-hmm. if we feel sick, we go to the doctor. Something wrong with our tooth, we go to a dentist. Uh, so we, we need to seek out the knowledge. And some players are, you know, book smart about golf. They study it. They understand the movements. They understand what it takes to um, make a golf ball compress and move it forward in a straight line. They they enjoy that kind of understanding. Um, and in today's world, with so much information online and and handed right into your pocket with your cell phone, we, we find, I think, that we, we feel like that there's a do-it-yourself attitude sometimes. And right. in many cases, that may work. I mean, if they understand things better. But in most cases, the average player that we deal with or we see at the golf course every day, 
doesn't have the clear understanding of what they're trying or need to try to do for either their size or shape, their age, physical ability. So that's why they need to seek out an expert in the golf swing in order to point out to them the proper path or approach that they need to take based on what they have to work with. And, And to be honest with you, I think Jamie and John and you as well, and I, I try to be as honest with my students as possible. I said, you know, you're you're not six four, um, you're sixty years old, and uh this is you know, this is what you've got to do to play your best golf. And that's where I think the the person taking lessons or wanting to go see a a, a golf professional to help them, if they're seeking out that person to kind of the second half of your question is they need to, to feel comfortable with the person that the that the teacher is not going to just, you know, humor them and say, well, we need to keep working on this, knowing all along that they're not going to achieve it and um, making sure that we keep the lessons going because uh, we need to have activity on the range. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it's, it's something I think that, that we all should seek out expert advice on whatever we do you know i don't work on my car anymore i take it to mechanic you know i'm looking for that expert (laughs) advice and people should do the same thing when they're trying to improve whatever sport they're playing golf tennis whatever if they're wanting to be as good as they can be at whatever level that is they need to find that person to help them get there um as far as what you're looking for in in an instructor uh, you know, we ha- I have to be careful here <laughs> in, in pointing out the fact that they should seek uh, reviews. You know, I would highly encourage anybody that was thinking about taking a lesson program for me, if they didn't know of my reputation before, here's a list of people I've been working with. Give them a call. See what they say. Yep. And, and right. that's the best way that I would tell a person to evaluate their instructor is find out who's been working with them. Uh, I know Todd Ellison that works with us here, he's one of the most sought-after, respected junior uh, instructors in our area. Generally speaking, mm-hmm. if, if you've got a top-line junior in the upstate of South Carolina, he either knows them or teaches them. And he doesn't advertise. He doesn't put out anything. He just takes – it's all referral. That's the person I'm looking for. Yeah, and that that is, you know, I think when it comes to, um, as you said, Clint, you know, seeking professional help, you know, we do in so many areas of our our lives, and I think there's nothing wrong with uh, doing, you know, your own self-evaluation and working on your game yourself, but I think sometimes a professional set of eyes can be critical in finding some of the areas that maybe you need the most help with, because sometimes we're not always honest with ourselves. You know, we may be a pretty decent ball striker, but there may be areas of the game that another set of eyes, somebody that's trained to to know what to look for and know what some of the solutions might be to helping you through your 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 uh, problem, uh, is is going to be apropos. And the problem is, I think sometimes ego gets in the way, or um, a feeling right. of well, I'm 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 too old, or you know, I'm like you said, yeah, I'm 60 years, 70 years old, and you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. So. Um, John, there's obviously areas, um, you know, in the swings, we, we want to acquire, uh, 
uh, a certain skill level in order to be a, become a better player. And that's something that, you know, we don't hear a lot uh, about, um, you know, when we turn on the golf channel is about becoming a better player. It's always about uh, the golf swing and getting in the right position and, and so on and so forth. But really, we want to become better players. And there's a difference between just being a great ball striker and actually being a great player. So what are some of the things uh, in sort of rolling off of what Clint just talked about, John, that um, our students need to be looking for? And what do we want to what skills do we want to make sure that we equip them for to give them the best opportunities to achieve that? That's a great question, Ted. Um, the first thing is when you talk about the position, the, the only position that I teach is setup. Uh, after the setup, uh, it, there's no more, it's not a position, it's a swing. And so I don't get into swing positions. Uh, I look at the path of the swing. So I think that the great thing about the winter months is that you can really work on your setup because you can get, get in front of mirrors. You can, you can film yourself at home, you know, your setup and understanding the ball position and your grip and posture and all those things. And the majority of tour players, when you look at what tour players work on, the majority of them are working on their setup. They're constantly working on their setup. So that's something that all the listeners out there can do. And, and I would encourage you to really focus on don't take your setup for granted because when you get off in your swing, it's because, first of all, your setup is off. Um, and then, you know, taking from, from that, um, you know, I, I think overall it's just a matter of players um, and, you know, looking at their game uh, objectively, uh, what, they've been, what their strong points are and their weak points, and then from there, over the winter months, um, you know, just focusing on on uh, what they need to improve on. Um, but I, you know, I, I really believe that um, you know, working on the setup is probably what I would encourage the most in in the uh, in the off season, as far as the swing, the, yeah. the actual swing. Yeah, and that's an excellent point. You know, I, I remember um, you know. Years ago, when Jack uh, Nicholas came out with, uh, of course, his video series, uh, it was two parts, but uh, the first part particularly he talked about in Golf My Way, um, how really when he came out uh, in preparation for a new season, you know, he didn't really make a lot of changes. What he did um, was he actually focused on the fundamentals. Uh, he got out on the yeah. driving range. He worked on the grip. He worked on his stance and his posture, ball position. That, And he made sure that they were in line with what he needed them to be to, in order to play his best game. And, you know, Jamie, this I want to roll this a little bit differently for you. I mean, uh, we understand the importance of, of seeking professional help, but you raised a very interesting point a little bit earlier on, and I know you've said this many, many times, that we are all uniquely different. One of the criticisms that I would have with the golf industry over the years is that there have been instances and times throughout its history that the average golfer has sort of been pigeonholed into a theory or a method as sort of the be-all, end-all. Explain to the listeners out there why it's important that when you're working with an instructor that they're addressing your needs and not everybody else down the line and treating you all the same, why it's important that we're treated uniquely um, in order to get our, our best uh, uh, out of the, the students? Well, it's interesting. The LPGA follows, uh, teaches and follows something called student-centered learning, and I think that that's just brilliant. It's emphasized from day one in, you know, as a teaching pro in the, in the training. And student-centered means that 
every individual has their own learning style, has their own preferences, has their own motivations for why they play, what's rewarding, um, how they like to practice, how they like to be communicated with, um, are they more visual, are they more kinesthetic kind of learners, uh, this sort of thing. So, you know, that goes to um, exactly what you're talking about is that we we really are all individuals, and we we have our own bodies, we have our own uh, differences, we have our own psych- psyches and psychological uh, differences, emotional makeup. Some of us are more logical and you know left brain. Some are more intuitive and feel kind of players. So you know that that all really makes a difference. How we how we connect, how we have relationships, and and that one to one student teacher relationship and how that communication goes so that it's effective are very individual matters. Um, Annika Sorenstam said something really terrific. She said, it's a quote that I use in in a lot of my Mm. presentations, even with corporate leaders, and she said, we're not human beings who, who, wait, we're not uh, golfers who happen to be human beings. We're human beings who happen to be golfers. So it's that human being who we are. She also said that reaching my goal of number one was about improving as a total person, not just as a player. Um, So, you know, it's that self-awareness, that self-knowledge that's so important. Uh, I I know we had on here, we did a show, Ted, earlier this year with Connie Charles and Dave Bisbee, the creators of IMAP Golf. And IMAP Golf mm-hmm. is a personal assessment. It's, it just takes about 15, 10, 15 minutes to do. It's online. It's, um, it's not, not that much, $25, $30. And you get a personal report that gives you all kinds of information about yourself and, and how and why you play, how you can be, um, you know, how you like to practice, how communication is effective with the coach, with your instructor. There are coaching reports for the instructor. There's a, a neat report called Avoiding Meltdowns. One is, uh, how to coach me, how to practice, and avoiding meltdowns, because we all also have our own individual stress reactions. <laughs> we all have our own ways that we personally melt down uh, when things you know, don't go so well out there on the golf course, which, which can happen to everybody. It happens every round, no matter how good you hit it. Um, so, you know, I think these really are are essential elements and they're things that we should we need to be concentrating on throughout the season. They're things that we can actually take more time with if the, you know when there is an off season. And I think that that's where where so much uh benefit is. It's interesting I I also in, in a lot of my presentations about unprecedented success, I use uh the examples of the 2012 Ryder Cup team, the PGA uh mm-hmm. when when the Europeans came back from an incredibly great deficit. Something like, say, if it was 70 to nothing in a football game, right, and they came back and won. <laughs> um, like, how does that happen? And then in 2014, the Americans lost again, and then in 2016, they won. And the thing they said then was, we were a family and we had fun. So it's not that they were necessarily better or worse golfers, um, say the Americans in, in any of those years, but having a sense of harmony, having a sense of connection, having a sense of, of fun in the way they were approaching the task uh, on the golf course is really what made the difference. Yeah, and that's an excellent point, Jamie. You know, having that connection, uh, you're, you're exactly right, helped them um, achieve a, a goal that they wanted in, in 2016, and it was important for them to do that. And sometimes, uh, you know, going through a reflection um, you know, through the, the current uh, or even previous seasons, sometimes can help uncover things that maybe you didn't uh, realize or you forgot. Uh, and that's a great point to bring up. 
Um, I, I want to very quickly go in because we're, we're really pressing for time here into part three, and, and I'm going to start at the beginning again, uh, John, with you, and then uh, Jamie, and then Clint. I'll let you wrap up uh, the last few moments. Um, but really, part three is, is really the mind control and mental preparation. Um, the body does really essentially what the mind tells it to. Um, so, John, talk a little bit about, you know, we need to sometimes get inside of our head. Um, what are some things that the folks can do to, to help uh, put together a better mind management and, and help control the thoughts that they have when they, not only on the golf course, but in preparation? What are some things that maybe um, we can suggest to them to help them uh, become better players uh, between the ears as well as uh, um, between the hands? Uh, that's interesting. Interesting question. I just did a video on this a couple of weeks ago, and um, basically, there's four things that I really try to teach in a pre-shot routine. And number one is I want to make sure my student has a pre-shot routine. Sometimes that just rolls off uh, instructors' tongues, and then you go out and play with someone, and you realize they don't have any routine at all. They just get up and hit it. So I make sure that they understand that you know the pre-shot routine is is what's going to set up your shot. And the better your pre-shot routine is, the more consistent and better opportunity you're going to have. So I, I teach them to see the shot, to feel the shot, to execute the shot, and then, and then finally to trust all the above. See it, uh, do, uh, see it, feel it, do it, and trust it. Um, and then when, people, when my students are hitting balls, um, I teach them to hit with a mental count. Um, because the time of your swing, whether you're hitting a two-foot putt or a 300-yard drive, is basically one second from the club to go back into the ball. We're talking about the club head. So what I try to teach them to do is to develop a cadence or a count. Um, a lot of times I'll use a metronome. Uh, a lot of my students will download it on their phone, and when they're practicing, they'll turn it on. And that constant beat, uh, just like a piano teacher would do with the student, uh, to have their club go back into the ball it is amazing when you get into that rhythm, uh, you, you, don't, you don't think about the water, you don't think about the bunkers, you don't think about your score. You're focusing on the club going back into the ball and that count. It will help you in all aspects of your game. Start it with, with putting and then work your way to the full swing. And I think if the students, that's something that you can do indoors. You can do that in your, at your house uh, in, when there's snow on the ground. And I promise you, uh, especially with your putting, it's really going to help you with your with your uh, overall game. Great, uh, some great thoughts there, John. Thank you for that. That you're you're exactly right, um, Jamie. The other components of this, of course, um, when it comes to um, our mind uh, and mental preparation, is of course controlling one's emotions. Emotions can have a huge impact uh, for a lot of our golfers out there. You know, if you've just uh, you know, driven to the golf course and, and maybe you've, uh, you know, trying to get in a, a, a quick nine after work and you've had a big fight with your boss or, or maybe, uh, you know, you've had some issues uh, with your spouse at home. Uh, that can certainly creep in there. Or maybe you're just having a bad day overall. You had a flat tire you had to change on the way to the golf course. Um, how do we, you know, resolve some of these issues um, in our mind as we get ready to, to step out to the first tee? Um, you know, and, and, and have an enjoyable round. Our emotions are a big factor as well. What, what are your thoughts there? Oh, that's such a great question, uh, Ted. I think we could do a couple shows on the emotions, right, of golf. And, and basically, <laughs> right. 
basically what you're talking about is, I think, uh, a way that I frame it these days is stress and looking at our stress reactions because that's what triggers mm-hmm. our emotions. And that's what gets us off center. And that's what gets us uh, distracted um, and not really present and you know, present in our bodies with a clear mind and a calm nervous system so that we can actually grip the club and make the swings and not be reactive in negative ways to what happens with a shot or a bad lie we get or our playing partner maybe getting on our nerves or we're uh, we're not present because we're worrying about things you know at the office or at home and all that kind of stuff so um, this is where, to me, Eastern types of practices, whether it's from martial arts or yoga or meditation or just real simple um, and very, very powerful centering practices, breathing practices, you know, when we know how to just sort of feel our lower belly, get that connected to our legs and feet, feel our balance, do some warm-up exercises that allow us to focus in our body and uh, get our body-mind connected and get us present in the moment where we are, breathe, kind of uh, the, uh, breathing that calms the nervous system and it also allows us to let go, let go of emotional upset, let go of of worry and concern and, and reactivity. Uh, and all those kinds of things I think are just very helpful. And they are really essential life skills is knowing how to de-stress and how to do that in the moment and how to be present where we are in the here and now. And clearly that's essential for golfers because you're standing there, staring, you know, this golf ball staring at you. We're staring at it. It's staring at us. Hard to say which is which, right? Um, and we got to make a swing and <laughs> launch that ball where we want it to go. And we're going to have uh, emotions in response to that, but we, we need to manage that. And the whole uh, connection of the mind and emotions and then how that's affecting our bodies and, and the ability to swing and, and, and all this um, is, a, is really interesting. I think that's what keeps us so engaged and makes golf a, a really interesting self-mastery practice. Yeah, well said, Jamie, um, and you're exactly right. Uh, you hit the points uh, right on the head. Um, Clint, as we wrap up, um, you know, one of the one of the problems that I think a lot of golfers have yeah. is um, they, they've got too many skeletons, as it were, in the closet. You know, when it comes time to stand over the ball, they've got, you know, just so much going on in their mind. And, you know, uh, both Jamie and, and John, of course, have talked about some ways that we can do to, to help, uh, you know, settle that clutter a little bit. But the truth of the matter is too many people get too many swing thoughts, too many uh, things in their mind, and just can't really, um, you know, swing fluidly um, when they're playing because they've got too much going on upstairs. What do you try to do on your end uh, as best you can to, to really help people stay focused and what should they be focusing on in most cases uh, when they're out there playing, you know, got it. I I don't want to simplify this, but here's the approach I take. Every one of y'all have mentioned the mind. Your mind doesn't have anything to do with how your body operates at a basic level. Your brain does. Your brain is what creates function in your body. Your brain is what automatically you breathe. Your brain controls you walking down steps. Your brain controls the motor skills of your body, period. John brings up the point of a pre-shot routine. Within a pre-shot routine, you have to be able to minimize your mind interfering with your brain to do what you want your body to do. Yep. If you can master that, 
then you're in what we've been told is the zone. You know, well, we're in the zone. Well, that's the day that your mind stayed out of the way. And you made some legitimate decisions on what club to use. You stepped up there, and your mind went quiet. It stopped trying to tell you what to do. You already know what to do. If you've practiced and you've went out and you've prepared, your brain knows what you're wanting to achieve. But mm-hmm. as long as the mind, with all these skeletons and, you know, i got to get it over the water, your brain doesn't recognize you got to get it over the water. That's the emotions your mind is using to interfere with your being able to be successful. So in all of my people I work with, we try in their pre-shot routine to get them to quiet their mind. Stop trying to help it. Take what you know, let that skill work, but it's your brain that controls that. Your emotions come, and maybe I'm very very simplistic with this, but the emotional side, the stress, the, the, the shot I hit last week is the same one I'm trying to do now, and I plumped it in the water. If mm-hmm. you can eliminate the mind out of that, the brain will take the ball across the water because it doesn't recognize any of that. It only knows what your body function wants to be. And and if you can get to a point to where you can control the mind, you can control the stress level, you can control being relaxed over the ball, you can control your breathing better, which is going to give you a more fluid body motion. We We all understand that. So what I try to do is get to people to recognize just who's swinging. Um, you know, who's going to hit this ball? You know, yeah, like Jamie said, who's staring at who? I mean, you know, get your mind to go quiet. Peace of mind on the golf course is a tremendous asset. You know, I, I think that there's a lot of things contributed to Nicholas and, and a lot of other players. But I think a few years ago, as I recall, he was asked why he thought he won more majors. And mm-hmm. his comment basically was, I can control my emotions better in stressful situations. And that's where I think what I try to do is to get people to understand that we're training the brain to do what we want our body to do, and then we have to come to an agreement with our mind to leave us alone and let us try to do it. And and that's the way, you know, it's kind of a simplistic elementary approach, but I, I think it really gets people to understand that, they, they have, that peace of mind is really important when they get up over the ball. And that starts, as John said, that starts in the pre-shot routine to, to making some decisions and just keeping the mind quiet. And I, I think you get success with that. Yeah, I, I agree, Clint. Um, and I'm, I'm writing this down as you're talking, so I may have to get you to repeat a few things. But, uh, no, you're, <laughs> well said. Um, you're, you're exactly right. You know, um, Jamie, you mentioned uh, Annika Sorenstam a little bit earlier, and it reminds me of a story that Cindy shared with uh, with uh, our other audience on Women of Golf Show recently, um, where during a U.S. Women's Open, uh, Annika, you know, had had spoken with, and I, I can't think of the the individual's uh, name off the top of my head, but um, you know, talked about some of her frustration that you know having her mind focusing too much. Uh, on the tasks at hand, and um, this person, as I said, who, whose name slips my memory right now, but basically said to her, 
you know, you just bought a new house, correct? And of course, Annika uh, responded. She said, you know, you're going to decorate that new house. In between your golf shots, think about some of the things that you want to do with your new house. And the, the purpose of that was in a, in a round of golf, whether it be four hours, three hours, four and a half, whatever it is you're playing, you cannot be focused on your golf game for the entire four hours. It's impossible. You'll burn yourself out. So really what she was trying to do is really goes to your point, Clint, was that was to clear her mind of all the clutter and all of the anxiety that comes with playing golf in between shots. So when she hits a shot, that shot is done. She may have four or five minutes, whatever it is, till she gets to her next shot. She's thinking about something unrelated, un, un, uh, off topic, if you will, until she gets to that and then reengages and refocuses. And ultimately what the end result was, she went on to win that U.S. Open uh, as a result of that advice. So um, you're exactly right, Clint and, and Jamie and John. I think that mentally what we need to do is there's a time and a place when we need to focus on the things that we need to do, um, but then we need to trust that our, our, our brain and our, our body are working in unison, which they will, um, and not getting cluttered up. And I think the off-season is a perfect time to get in harmony, if you will, with one another uh, between the two. Um, guys, what a great job you guys did, as always, uh, on Coach's Corner. I want to thank you again for, for doing this. And uh, I'm going to give each of you a, a quick moment or two. Uh, again, I'll, I'll start with Jamie this time and then John and then Clint. Um, just let the folks know if they want to reach out to you at some point uh, and uh, maybe uh, draw on your experiences. Uh, how can they go about doing that? Well, just at first I want to say thank you, Ted, and thank you to my uh, my colleagues here. It's really been fun talking and, and so interesting. Um, people can reach me at jamie, J-A-M-I-E, at kiigolf.com, K-I-A-I-golf.com, which is also the website, of course, kiigolf.com. Uh, a direct phone and leave messages, and, and I, I do get back to people, is 760-492-GOLF. Four six five three, and I would also refer people to IMAP Golf, which is just I M A P Golf, uh, IMAPGolf.com, and to check out the survey. And uh, I'm happy to review results and, and that sort of thing if people are interested, or to uh, answer any questions about taking the survey and getting some more really valuable insights about themselves. Perfect, great job, Jamie. Um, John. Uh, how can the folks reach out to you and, and anything quickly that you want to uh, share with the listeners? Thanks again, Clint and Jamie. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, you can reach me. Uh, I'm on Facebook. And again, I spell my name J-O-N Decker. Uh, I've got two fan pages there. I've got John Decker Golf Instruction, with, and I've also got uh, Golf Is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game. That's, about, that's with my book. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn, and YouTube as well. And I'm now working with uh, golfswing.com forward slash John Decker. Uh, I've got almost 70 videos that have been up over the last month and a half. Um, and the, it's a really great site. It's a great uh, great instructional site with, with uh, some really great teachers as well uh, uh, up there. So um, that, that's a great way to get in, uh, to see my instructional tapes. Uh, there's about four to five minutes long. So, um, those are the best places to reach me. Perfect. Thank you, John. And Clint, uh, if you want to wrap it up, how can the folks, if they want to reach out to you and anything that you want to, uh, to share with the audience as well? 
Yeah, okay. Um, as usual, they can send me an email to clintgoff001 at yahoo.com. Um, they can also go on uh, uh, the uh, TGM uh, Goff website, uh, tgmgoffacademy.com. Uh, they can also reach me now to, to a little bit of news. that We opened up a, a new school at a club, the club at Brookstone in Anderson. So if they want to come in Anderson, mm-hmm. South Carolina and see me, that's where I'll be for a while. And uh, outside of that, I mean, just as we finish up, remember that your mind makes a decision, your brain hits the ball, and then we'll be, we'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, as always, Clint. I appreciate that. Uh, again, guys, thank you very much for, for doing this. Uh, I really do appreciate it. As I said uh, uh, earlier in the show, uh, I know it's not always easy after a busy day of, of uh, d- you know, teaching and, and doing other things uh, to be able to come on and, and uh, spend an hour with me uh, on the Coach's Corner panel, but I appreciate it, uh, each and every one of you, for doing that. So uh, until the next time, guys, thanks, and, and uh, keep doing the great job that you guys are doing, and I look forward to seeing you the next time uh, here on the Coach's Corner panel. Thanks, guys. Okay, Ted. Thanks, Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Ted. All right. Bye-bye. All right. That was my very special guest on the Coach's Corner panel, uh, John Decker, uh, Jamie Leno-Zimron, and, of course, my good friend Clint Wright uh, here on the Coach's Corner panel. All right. We're going to have a very special guest uh, coming on this evening, uh, Tiffany Mack Fitzgerald. Uh, She's the founder of Black Girls Golf. And we're going to talk to her in just a minute. But let me just remind everybody a couple of things. Uh, first off, of course, uh, we are live every Thursday evenings from 6 to 8 p.m. Central uh, or 7 to 9 Eastern for those of you on the East Coast uh, here on the blogtalkradio.com network. And just uh, best way to find us uh, is go to blogtalkradio.com uh, forward slash golf talk live or just simply type golf talk live up in the uh, search key and that'll take you there. Uh, or if you want to go to uh, iTunes or Stitcher.com, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, you can go there and under the podcast section, just type in Golf Talk Live, and that will take you there as well. Uh, and uh, again, for some reason, if you're not able to join us during the live broadcast, you can just go to those uh, different links and websites. And uh, there's an on-demand section as well on the BlogTalkRadio.com network that you can scroll down. And tonight's show, after uh, it has uh, uh, completed, uh, it will be there in its entirety, the recorded version. So if you missed tonight's live broadcast or part of it and you want to go back, uh, and listen to it again or, or parts of it again, uh, you can do so by going to blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live. Um, also, just a quick uh, reminder, I think I mentioned it earlier, but if not, I'm going to uh, mention it again. Uh, just a couple of quick uh, points. Of course, Tuesday mornings, uh, I'm on live with uh, my good friend, LPJ professional Cindy Miller on the Women of Golf Show, uh, also on the blogtalkradio.com network. Uh, we are going to be completing... Uh, our last show, December 12th uh, for 2017, and we'll be commencing again February 6th. So uh, last show will be uh, December 12th, and we'll be starting up February 6th uh, for the Women of Golf Show. And that's on Tuesday mornings from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time uh, for those of you uh, tuning into that show. Uh, also, uh, for Golf Talk Live, uh, my Thursday evening show from 6 to 8 p.m. Uh, Central or 7 to 9 Eastern, um, my last show for this season uh, will be December 14th, and we'll be commencing the new season uh, February 8th. And, uh, of course, Coach's Corner uh, doesn't always start at the beginning of the season. It usually rolls out about the first Thursday of March. So I'll be sending for those of you tuning in that maybe have been on the panel or uh, other teaching professionals that might be tuning into the show as well uh, and are maybe interested in becoming uh, part of the Coach's Corner panel uh, for 2018. Of course, we're 
uh, all booked up for the rest of the season this year. But uh, if you're interested in jumping on the bandwagon, as it were, uh, you can email me at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com, and I'll be more than happy uh, to send you a, 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 a open schedule for 2018. I'll be doing that actually in a couple of weeks, so uh, you want to make sure you get your emails to me here in the next uh, week or so uh, to ensure you get included in the mix. Um, and don't wait too long because the, the dates will fill up very fast, believe me. Um, I, I just want to uh, – one other final thing uh, as well. Uh, we're doing a lot of – Interesting things this year in 2017, but uh, 2018, we're doing a lot of different things. Uh, in addition to having the regular Coaches Corner panel, I'm going to be having more special guest panelists uh, joining in, in the mix as well. And uh, they're going to be joining us here uh, on the Coaches Corner panel the first hour. And of course, as always, I have a, a very insightful interview uh, following Coaches Corner panel discussion. So you want to make sure you tune in for both hours there. Um, I want to introduce uh, my next uh, my guest uh, this evening. Uh, as I mentioned, her name is uh, Tiffany Mack Fitzgerald, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about her while I wait for her to come on board. Uh, she is the founder of Black Girls Golf, and she's on a mission to get more African-American women uh, on the golf course. Uh, having spent more than 20 years in corporate America, uh, Tiffany understood the role of, of golf, uh, the, the role that golf played in building successful uh, professional relationships. Uh, she also, at the time, though, noticed that uh, the acute lack of African-American women uh, present on the golf course. So in 2013, she decided to do something about it and founded Black Girls Golf, an organization that provides uh, golf news, uh, information, and community for women who are interested in learning, practicing, and, of course, playing golf. In just four short years, uh, Tiffany has grown Black Girls Golf to a community of more than 3,000 members in 35 states and seven countries. Very impressive numbers. Uh, Black Girls Golf has also gained the respect of the industry with features on TurfNet.com, PGATour.com, and Women's Golf Journal. Uh, Tiffany's work has helped the golf industry take notice of the benefits of diversity and inclusion by introducing more than 1,000 women to the game via Black Girls Golf hands-on clinics and golf outings. Uh, she's also been featured in Ebony Magazine, Black Enterprise, African American Golfers Digest, and most recently she appeared on The Harry Show with host Harry Connick Jr., uh, she's a native of Oakland, California, and an alumni of Grambling State University, and the mother of three children, and currently resides in Atlanta, Georgia. So very excited to uh, talk with her tonight, and uh, I see that she's ready, so let me bring on my very special guest, Tiffany Mack Fitzgerald. Good, good evening, Tiffany, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's an honor, and, and thank you uh, for coming on and, and agreeing to do the show tonight. Um, Tiffany, before we get into it, I, I want to just go back a little bit. Um, I've obviously just read out uh, uh, your bio and, and talked about some of the great accomplishments that you've uh, rolled out so far, and I know there's lots of great work ahead, and we'll talk about that as well. But I want to go back a little bit. Uh, first and foremost, I want to uh, thank, uh, and hopefully he's listening tonight, but uh, Rick Lucas, of course, the uh, director of the PGM program at uh, Clemson University for actually uh, bringing you to my attention and, uh, and sort of uh, helping me reach out and, and getting you on the show um, talk a little bit about, because I know that you have uh, some involvement with Rick as well at Clemson University. Can you talk a little bit about what's happening there, and then we'll talk about uh, some of the other things as well. Yeah, we have developed a great partnership with the Clemson University um, PGA Golf Management Program. Uh, Rick and I met almost two years ago now, and Rick has a passion for the game, and he loves his students, but he also understands um, the full scope of the lack of diversity that exists in the industry. And after chatting for about a year, 
um, we decided that together we could probably help each other. So together I'm able, um, with the PGM program, I'm able to help Clemson and, and Rick create a more diverse pipeline of students mm-hmm. who may have an interest in, in a career in golf. And what that does for his students is gives them the opportunity to hone their skills and develop um, some skills towards teaching people from more diverse backgrounds. So this last this yeah. past summer, we were able to um, host 15 girls from across the country who had an interest mm. in learning more about Clemson University and obviously an, an interest in a career in golf. Yeah, and, and I, I, you know, I had uh, Rick on for, for an hour as well. Uh, I think it was a few weeks back now. And uh, he sort of actually really set up this interview uh, in, in explaining about the relationship. And, and uh, I thought it was fantastic. And I said to him right away, I said, I, I need her information. I want to get her on the show. I just think it's fantastic. Um, and, wow, and congratulations on, on, yeah, on that partnership and relationship. I know that uh, just as you said, the enthusiasm and, and uh, eagerness for, for Rick to help develop uh, you know, new areas in, in golf um, and what you bring to the table as well, I, I know, is, is a great, uh, a great um, relationship and friendship that will develop out of that for sure. Tiffany, let me let, let's talk about something, and 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 I want to really go back because, um, you know, you sent me some some great talking points, and I want to talk about them uh, in 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 its entirety if we can. And one of the things, and, and I think you're exactly spot on. There are certainly a lot of stereotypes. I can think of a few more, and I'm going to add one or two myself, but. Um, really that, that need to be, as you put, dispelled uh, about golf um, before really we can understand and help grow the game. First off, um, you know, traditionally golf has always been thought as well as for old white men. Um, and there was obviously a lot of truth to that for, for many, many years. Obviously there's more diversity now, but that was the case for many, many years. The other one also is that, well, golf is boring. I mean, you know, I hear people, and I'm sure you've heard it over the, the years as, as you've been developing your golf, you know, it's boring. I don't, I don't get it. Why do you want to chase a little white ball around, you know, the golf course and, and it just doesn't make any sense. And also that it takes too long. Um, the other one that I want to add in there is I think that a lot of people are under the impression because of what they see on TV um, that you've got to be a PGA or an LPGA professional to play golf. You've got to be at that elite status. And that's not true. Right. The majority of people that play golf uh, are lucky to break a hundred. So, Let's talk about some of those. Let's, let's have a, 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 an open discussion and, and talk about some of the things that you've had to try to dispel as you've uh, grown this, this uh, venture that you have, uh, Black Girls Golf. Sure. One of the first, very first things that I have to get a lot of um, my members to understand that golf is not just for old white men. And that right. that is really what people believe and and you know rightfully so it's it's what you see sure. when you think of golfer you, you typically don't think of an african-american woman um so just dispelling that myth because it's it's all that we see and when you look at the industry as a whole it's pretty homogenous mm-hmm. you know even when you look yes. at careers in golf that have nothing to do with swinging a golf club you know and, and typically when people think of careers in golf they think of professional golfers but like any other industry, it's got accountants and marketing people and salespeople and engineers and, and other administrative roles. But even in some of those roles, it's pretty homogenous. So for people to think that it's just for old white men, 
understand why they believe that, but it's really important in the work that I do to get people to understand that um, part of the onus is on us to mm-hmm. pick up something new, to learn something new, and um, just by virtue of you being on the golf course, you've already done something to dispel that myth. Yeah, well said. And, you know, what's interesting, and, and I have learned over the last several years since doing this show, I've had some great, great guests on the show, and I'm going to name a few of them because uh, I, I want to give them um, their proper credit. Uh, and, and you may know some of these individuals just through uh, social media connections uh, or other uh, being in the golf industry. Um, but one was um, uh, Peggy Rhodes White, uh, who is the daughter of the late uh, Teddy Rhodes, who was a mm-hmm. uh, African-American who played uh, many, many years ago. Of course, he's no longer with us. Um, but, you know, he never really played um, because of the times uh, during that era. Um, obviously, African-American golfers were, were really not permitted to play at that time on the PGA Tour uh, because of uh, exclusion. And so he played in, in other uh, tours and that. But, you know, he, he, he won 150, I believe, plus events. Uh, and became a very accomplished golfer. Yet we don't hear a lot about his story. So this is why Peggy has taken and sought the challenge uh, through her, uh, the Ted Rhodes Foundation uh, to try and educate people, not just the golf industry in general, but those within the African-American community to let them know that there were some pioneers very early on that have helped pave the way, uh, much like there has been in baseball and football and many other sports. Um, because you're right, the the sort of homogenized view that we see on television uh, and in the media uh, is just that. And we don't hear about a lot of these others. Um, and there's other great people that have done a lot of work, uh, a lot of great uh, women. Renee Powell, of course, who was very prominent uh, on the ladies' side of things. You know, yeah, and Renee's we a don't good hear... friend of mine and her, her father, Bill Powell, who, mm-hmm. you know, right. they now have a golf course in East Canton, Ohio, that he's... Right. Basically built with his hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Renee has actually been a guest uh, on my show a couple of times, uh, and I love having her. She's just a, a wonderful woman and a great asset to the game. But, you know, these are the sort of typical stereotypes that ha- have been sort of fostered for years. And I think as somebody who, and I'm sure you can attest this, as I mean, you're obviously becoming more educated as you delve further and further into the golf industry. But for somebody on the outside who is African-American and looking on the inside, I can understand very easily why many probably say, well, this isn't for me. It's not, you know, it's not inviting to me. And this is obviously a barrier that you want to break. Is that correct? Absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm a firm believer that we can't be what we don't see. And as an African-American girl, if you even have any inkling to play golf, it's probably because someone in your family introduced you to it. But if you turn on the television, you're going to be hard-pressed to see someone who looks like you, even on a golf commercial, any of the golf commentators. Mm -hmm. There's nothing on the golf channel that's going to show you a reflection of yourself. So it's really difficult, I think, for um, for us to break those barriers, but we've all got to do our our part. Yeah, and and there's some great um, you know great golfers that have come up, but it can't always be on the golf course. And I'm talking about the, at the professional level. I mean, obviously, uh, Tiger Woods' sister, Shan uh, Cheyenne Woods, of course, is, His is niece. you know yeah, trying Cheyenne to make her. Is his niece. I'm sorry, niece. I'm sorry. Yes, you're right. 
um, my apologies, um, who you know is trying to to make her own way. Um, but again, that's on the tour. And you know, if we look at the LPGA, there's there's much diversity on the LPGA. In fact, more so I think than even the, the PGA uh, in many respects. And obviously, as golf is becoming a more global community uh, and many uh, World Golf Championship events uh, around the globe, we're seeing a much bigger diversity. But you're exactly right. When you turn on the television screen and you're not seeing uh, a clear present representation uh, of of your um, uh, you know of your diversity then it becomes very um, a daunting task to want to say, okay, I want to go out and do this, but I don't see anybody that, that looks like me. And so this is obviously Absolutely. One, of, right, one of the hurdles that, that you've had to go over and sort of dispel that, but also, um, it, which brings us into the second one, and, and I can understand that because there's even times when I feel this way, um, but it can get a little boring, especially if you're not playing well. And if you're watching it all the time on TV, listen, I've – you know, closed my eyes a few times, uh, even during a, a major event. I don't want to, hopefully nobody will, will write me nasty notes for sleeping during the <laughs> Masters, but, you know, sometimes it's it's not too interesting. But um, but that's for another story. But but that's another one that you want to try to dispel as well. So talk a little bit about that. So I encourage women to watch on Sunday because most of the conversation that's going to happen at work around the water cooler about um, a, a major golf tournament, whether it be PGA or LPGA, is going to be about something really great that happened on Sunday. That's where the most most exciting golf is played on Sunday. Um, and then I tell people that golf is boring if you play with boring people. I don't play with boring yes. people, so I always have a good time <laughs> when I play. Right. You're exactly right. Um, and, and, you know, I, I always made a point, you know, when I play, uh, especially in the past, I, I always, um, you know, tried to seek out a lot of times that, you know, if I played with my friends, that was different, but if I was going to the golf course and I was by myself, a lot of times I would always ask to wait back a few groups cause I'd watch to see who was coming and how they presented themselves, how they carried themselves, if they looked like they were going to be fun. And I'd say to the, to the, right. uh, to the marshal at, you know, that, or at the, you know, in the, in the pro shop, that's the, the twosome over there that I want to be paired with if they don't already have somebody just because, you know, they look like they were going to have a good time. And, and nine times out of 10, I was right. So um, that, that does a lot. The other thing too, that I want to <clears throat> talk about and give you an opportunity to, to really uh, share. It's not only within the African-American community that we see uh, or have seen an issue, but also for women. This is another area that has really been lacking. I mean, yes, we have the LPGA Tour, and there's many great teaching professionals, but again, in comparison to what we see in the men's division, um, the scale is still tipped quite a bit. You actually specifically targeted women. Explain why. For one, I'm a woman, so I know Mm -hmm. how I felt the first time I went to take a golf lesson. It was in a large group. I was the only black person, the only person of color in that group of students. Mm-hmm. And the first time I stepped up to a tee box, I was with three white men, and I just felt like all eyes were on me. I was nervous. I was intimidated. The The group lessons mm-hmm. that I took didn't prepare me for the etiquette, the rules. I didn't know where to stand. When should I talk? When should I not talk? Where should I park the car? Which club should I use? There were just so many things I didn't know. And then when you couple that with the fact that I was the only woman, I was the only person of color in sight, 
it was tremendously right. intimidating. And I know that there are other women who face that same problem. You know, golf comes up all the time in corporate America. You know, there's a, a golf tournament that your organization has sponsored, or if you work in a, in a sales-focused organization, those salespeople are not in the office on a nice Friday. They're probably on the golf course building relationships, which could lead yep. to, to closing, and you're not there. So when I kept seeing these women absent from the golf course and I started to learn more about what was happening on the golf course, I knew that it mm-hmm. was a place I wanted to be. It was a target-rich environment for yep. me to put myself in, for men in positions of power. Um, any woman that I was going to see there was probably also going to be in a, in a decision-making position or she was adjacent to a man that was in a decision-making position. Right. Um, industry influencers. I just knew that the golf course was the place I needed to be, but I didn't feel comfortable there. I, mm-hmm. I and and Black Girls Golf was the invitation um, for me to extend to other women who felt the way I felt the first time they stepped on a golf course, or perhaps they haven't stepped on a golf course yet because they're afraid and intimidated because it just seems like a completely different world. Let's and you're exactly right. I want to talk about for a second, you know, as I mentioned uh, in the opening uh, comments, you know, that, that you started Black Girls Golf, uh, I believe, back in 2013. So you've, you've got a few years under your belt, so to speak. But what was the thought process? I mean, obviously, you, you wanted to open up a door to the African-American community and obviously particularly to women, being a woman yourself. Um, but what did you want to um, – in your grand scheme of things, obviously you had a, because you're somebody that's come from corporate America, you obviously know about putting a, a business plan, a game plan together, if you will, and, and goals and things. What were, what was your overall goal and what were some of the goals that you tried to set very early on to keep yourself on target? Okay. This is, this is so not a, a politically correct answer. I did not have a plan. <laughs> <laughs> there was no plan. I honestly, just went off of a gut feeling. I knew right. that if I felt this way, there had to be other women who felt this way. Just, I mean, there was proof um, in concept for me because I wasn't seeing women on the golf course. I'm like, that proves to me, right. like, there's a reason why they're not here. They know it exists. Right. These women are married to men who play. They they bought a house in a golf community, but they are not here. They're not playing. There has to be a reason. So mm-hmm. sorry to tell you, there really <laughs> there really wasn't a plan. <laughs> I I just went off of my gut, and I was like, there there has to be, and and particularly for Black women, you know, no one goes to a party uninvited, and right. golf is the party Black women feel like they weren't invited to. And thinking back to my days in corporate America, no one ever invited me to play because they assumed I didn't, and they weren't wrong. They weren't wrong. I was never invited to play. So it was not something that I felt like I was – wasn't a place I felt like I was welcomed. I was never invited. Um, And I just wanted to create that bridge into the industry that would be easy for women to walk across. So there were no yeah, and, early and, plans. There were no goals set. It was just 
create a space where women feel comfortable and they won't be afraid to come into the game. Well said, and I appreciate the honesty, Tiffany. That was that was great. I love that answer. Um, you know, and, and sometimes the best ideas um, come out of just that. It, you know, there was no um, specific game plan. There was no, you know, years of preparation. You just, um, you know, through your own intuitiveness, uh, if you will, realize that there was a, a void um, in an industry that you knew potentially could reap benefits, uh, not only for yourself, but for other women. And, and just to add to what you said about, you know, that sort of intimidation and not being asked to, to be uh, a part of something, that is something that a lot of women, not just African-American, but a lot of women uh, in corporate America feel. Uh, obviously, certainly in, in some cases, maybe more in the African-American community, but women in general, because, you know, in, in most companies, you know, the guys are going out and they're playing golf and, and on a regular basis. And, you know, suddenly there's a big corporate event going on that maybe they're inviting clients. And a lot of times the women in general are being passed over because unless somebody happens to speak out and say, hey, by the way, I play golf, too. Uh, you know, can I come? Um, they're not going to get invited. And. Or what You're happens exactly is the right. women end up at the volunteer table. They end up selling right. you mulligans and bringing you lunch and, you know, passing out the raffle tickets. That's that's what the women do. And, and you know, a lot, of the thing, a lot of the times I tell my members, you don't want to put yourself in an uneven playing field by being in a role yeah. that appears to be subservient to the men who are out playing and having fun. You want to put yourself on an even playing field with them. You want to go play too. And once you see them play, you won't be so intimidated. Men are never as good as they think they are. No. <laughs> and they're really never as good as women think they are. Men spend more time in the woods. They spend more time in the bunker than we do because, you know, they want to muscle the ball. They want to hit it as far as it right. can go instead of – Playing the course as it was designed. <laughs> I love it. You're you're exactly right, and that is such a true statement. Um, gosh, I'm glad I had you on tonight. Um, you know, <laughs> if it's a par five, you, I don't mind taking all five of my shots. Like if I have to lay no. up because I know I can't play the draw, that's just what I'm going to do. You know, what's interesting, obviously I'm a teacher professional. I've, I've played golf since I was, you know, knee-high to a grasshopper. And you're exactly right. You know, one of, um, one of the things that I used to enjoy, I still do, but obviously I don't get an opportunity to play quite as much as I used to um, just because I'm busy with the shows and things like that. But, you know, earlier on when I was sort of getting my chops, one of the things that I really enjoyed doing was playing with women. And the reason why is just because of what you just said. Um, yeah, they could be a little intimidated because obviously they knew I was a better player, but they were honest in their assessment of their game. They would be very open and upfront and say, you know what, I'm not a very good player and, you know, I might not be able to hit it very far, uh, but I can hit it pretty straight. And I said, you know, my dear, uh, I want to play with you because I don't care how long you can hit. I'm just glad that you're being honest about your game because I don't know how many men that I would get into a group and as soon as they heard that I was a professional – Right away, they're, as you said, they're trying to muscle the ball, and they're left and right and right and up and down and all over the place. That and makes for a really myself, long day. <laughs> yeah, and that's where the, the six-hour rounds came in. So I would always try to get in with some of the women because um, they weren't afraid, to, you know, again, because we weren't playing in a competition, you know, they would pick up their ball. 
if they weren't going to get there and, you know, eight strokes, they were picking the ball up and they'd play on the next hole. Uh-uh. The exactly. man, they're looking for 20, 20 minutes in the woods. So you're exactly right. That's a great point. And thank you for, for sharing that. Um, I want to move forward a little bit. Um, I talked about earlier about the LPGA, um, you know, being around, uh, as you said, for, for a number of years. In fact, 1950, the LPGA Tour was first uh, played its first official season. Uh, so it has been around for a number of years. Uh, it ran from uh, January, January to October and consisted of, at that time, 15 official money events. Uh, and Babe uh, Zaharias uh, won most of the tournaments, eight in fact, uh, in the inaugural year, uh, and also led the, the money list with earnings at that time. And it doesn't sound like very much by today's standards, but uh, it was 14800 um, So not a lot of money at that time. And obviously, if we fast forward today, as I said to you earlier uh, in the show, is that there is certainly much more diversity in, in golf, I think, on the LPJ than there is on the PGA Tour. But we're still not seeing a lot of um, African-American girls out there competing on the LPGA. There are a few, but not very many. And as you point out, there's really only been uh, about eight black women who have ever played uh, thus far um, in the LPGA Tour. Um, I think we understand. That's 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 a huge problem. And, I mean, when you look at Latina women as well, there's, there's a few more Latina women um, playing on the tour, but by and large, it's Asian women and white women. And right. that's kind of yeah, it. Yeah, and I think really just to, to, to add to your point, I think that with um, the Latino women, of course, we had uh, great golfers like Lorena Ochoa and, and others that have come out on the tour. So obviously, um, through their stardom, it has drawn that community to, to get more interested. But obviously, uh, in, in areas like uh, South Korea and Thailand and China and, and other areas uh, in the Asian community, um, they're very big in golf over there. They're really um, productive mm-hmm. in, in, in getting recruiting and stuff. So what do we need to do here in America, do you think, to really reach out to the African-American community? And, and let's focus on the women. I mean, obviously, the, the, the guys are a different story. Um, we're going to focus on the women tonight, um, but I think the same thing applies. What do we need to do? Um, obviously, we know what you're doing, but what further needs to happen, do you think, by the industry in order to make it more inviting, more accepting, uh, and making it more interesting for, for black women to take uh, take notice? I think when you look um, as a whole um, at cultural references in golf, it still is a very exclusive sport. Um, it is unlike other sports in terms of the cost of getting to the higher levels of the game. If I want to be good at basketball, I can go shoot free throws for four and five hours at a time. You know, I Mm -hmm. can get better. I can get good at that with little to no cost. Golf is not that way. And in my experience with the golf industry, in order for a black woman or a black girl to play golf, she has to go to golf. Golf is not coming to her. Um, right. She's not going to see. She's not going to flip through a magazine and see anyone selling her a golf club or a golf ball or anything of that nature. Um, and and even if you look at, at at other sports, like you know the Williams sisters are powerhouses in in tennis. Yep. But you're not mm-hmm. going to see an ad where you're where anyone is selling a tennis racket to a black person. You're not going right. to see it. 
You're not going to see those ads in Essence Magazine or Ebony Magazine or any of the magazines that target a heavily African-American female demographic. So the industry is not coming to us. We have to come to the industry. And because golf is not really something um, that black women do, it's not something Mm -hmm. that's handed down. It's not something that their grandmother probably did. So it's not something their mother did, so it's not something she's going to do. So golf needs to do a better job coming to us. You playing a commercial on the golf channel for USA Girls Golf, if I'm not a golfer, I'm not going to see it. (laughs) You know, golf commercials on the golf channel is preaching to the choir. And in my experience, you know, now that I obviously pay closer attention to the industry, it's just something they've done a really poor job at is um and and with their diversity initiatives like the first T where they're they're getting young people mm-hmm. into into the game and interested in the game, then you've got PGA junior golf. They've proven that they can put together a concerted, funded, organized effort uh, behind an initiative. And so I just don't buy it. That diversity is not one of it, it's not something they know how to do. Um, they they yeah. they've organized all kinds of initiatives, but diversity seems to be one that that they're just falling down on. They're they're not putting together what I think is a concerted effort. And for decades, there have been small community based um, golf organizations like mine. You know, the Chicago Women's mm-hmm. Club has been around for a hundred years. There's the Wake Forest yep. Women's Club. You know, they've been around for decades. And yep. I don't see the golf industry seeking the assistance of these grassroots organizations who know their communities. They have put forth the effort um, with the bandwidth that they have, and I just think it's it's going to take one larger conversation um, instead of these these conversations we're having with each other and the conversation the golf industry is having with itself <laughs> about how to solve yeah. the problem. Um, we're not all talking together. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right, Tiffany. And, and let me just add a, a couple of things, if, if I may. The other, the other problem that I see, and you're, you're exactly right, there are so many great you know, uh, grassroots organizations that have been around for, for decades and even generations um, that are doing – the exactly the right thing. The problem is they're not communicating. I'll give you another example. I had a guest on um, earlier this year who unfortunately was born with, and I'm not sure if I can remember which one, but I think it was her uh, left hand uh, was partially or, or mostly missing. She was obviously um, had, had some challenges and mm-hmm. she raised a very interesting point. And I, I don't want to get off topic with you and I here, but I just want to use this to, to elevate my point. The problem is that that is also another segment of the population where there are literally tens of millions of people, not just wounded veterans, but people that are born with um, some sort of uh, disability or however you want to phrase it, that the golf industry is not even talking to. So this young lady is doing very similar to what you're doing in her community. The problem is what I see with all of the development of junior golf um, Again, First Tee is is certainly doing their thing uh, in some ways, but the problem is a lot of the junior programs out there, Tiffany, are filters into the mini tours who ultimately are filters into the bigger tours. 
Um, the problem with that which is are so yes, you expensive have to have, that these right, families can't even you, afford to pay the entry fees. <laughs> right, exactly. And and the problem is, you certainly have to have that. I mean, we need to have junior golf and things like that. But the problem is, not everybody in the household number one has the ability um, to make it at that next level. Um, maybe doesn't mm-hmm. even have the desire, and certainly doesn't have the financial resources to to take it to that level. So you've you've basically negated a huge segment of the population, and we're not even talking about the African American uh, segment of the population. That's just in general. Now, if you scale it down even further into the African American uh, population, again, money is a big issue because not everybody can afford to send their kid to a junior uh, golf program camp or whatever you want to call it. And even if you do, they may not have the resources to take it to that next level or may even have the desire to go that way. They just want to go out and maybe play. They just want to go out and have fun. Right. What is So right. this is what obviously golf, um, black girls golf is about is you're trying to educate them as well as give them an opportunity, hey, to just go out and have fun. It doesn't have to be about uh, competitive play on the LPJ Tour. It can be just out as one playing um, as, a, uh, as a way to um, – uh, socialize, uh, but also as a way to network in business. So there's a lot of advantages, um, and we're not even talking about the LBJ. That's just for young women that you're introducing this game to. Just that the, gives yeah, them an just the average recreational golfer. My my average member, the at the average age of my member is between 35 and 54. So these are women who right. are well into their careers. Most of them have at least a bachelor's degree, if not a graduate degree. Um, these these women can spend their discretionary income on a number of different things, but they've decided they want to try golf. And if the industry doesn't at least meet me halfway with making sure that these women are in a welcoming environment where the golf course has paid attention to the fact that not everyone who shows up knows what to do. Um, right. <laughs> you know, golf courses assume right. that everybody who comes knows what to do. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't cater to the new golfer. And quite frankly, 95% of the women who are in my membership are brand new to the game. And I've had courses who don't want to offer – there's one course that I work with here in the Atlanta Metro that allows women to, on two days a week, they can play four holes, which is plenty for a beginner. There's no reason why when I show up I have to pay for nine holes if I'm not ready. Number one, it's going to make me hate the game because I'm going to be frustrated by the time I get to my fourth hole. And then whoever's playing behind (laughs) me is going to be pissed. So you're you're giving everybody a bad day by forcing a new golfer to pay for nine holes when she should really be playing three or four. Why isn't there an option for that? You know, the industry just doesn't seem to be flexible enough um, to do things differently that are going to attract that recreational golfer who's going to keep the doors open for them. Yeah, and I think, like, unfortunately, I think the the reality is, Tiffany, that like many industries, um, there's an unwillingness to change, not that they know that the change isn't coming, but I think that there's a fear of change that the industry is – I mean, we've heard this, you know, um, and I'm going to take away from this topic for just a second – but, you know, we've heard all kinds of things. Well, let's change the way the game is played. Let's change the handicap system. Let's change this. Let's change that. And there's been a lot of blowback because, unfortunately, you get traditionalists in the game, just like any sport, that don't want or are afraid of that change. And the problem is 
you don't have to change the game entirely, but you have to add a new component to open the door and entice other people that maybe don't want to get out on the tour or don't want to play 18 holes or don't want to um, maybe play the same format, but there's no reason they can't be introduced to the game in a different fashion. I mean, we have Frisbee golf. golf. We have foot golf. golf. Top golf is a perfect example. They're making money hand over fist. There's two top golfs in, in, in a lot of markets and they're, they're putting up new locations. Every time I turn around, they're opening a new location and it's because they've created um, an entertainment element to the game. They've yes. taken the things that people already do, socialize, um, have a beer, and, you know, network mm-hmm. with each other, and they just added golf to that. When you go to a golf course, it's quiet, and that's not what people do when they're social. <laughs> you know, no. they're not quiet no. like that. It's just, you know, no. there's there's very limited options on the golf course. I mean, even if a golf course said on Friday and Saturday, Twilight Golf, we're going to let you put speakers in your cart. You know, we're going to let you listen to music on the course. We're going to, you know, and if you're a traditionalist, then don't play Twilight Golf with us. Yeah. Because yeah, we're going to be loud some, uh, tonight. <laughs> yeah, there has to be exactly. And, and I think you have to bring the element of, of fun back into golf. I think that's the other thing, too, is a lot of people aren't having fun anymore. It's become frustrating. It's been, it's difficult. You know, I'll, I'll be honest, as an instructor, golf is an extremely difficult game to learn at the best of times. And now you add other elements as well that uh, are, are not an enticement, but rather a detraction from wanting to come to the golf course because it is a very quiet game. And, and I understand the reasons why. But at the same time, if you don't add an element of fun or difference to it, and you're right, Top Golf is a great, I mean, it's going to be the next, you know, Starbucks, but because um, you know, there's one on every street corner, it seems now. But the other thing, too, that uh, I think Top golf does is i remember growing up as a kid and you may have had some a similar experience but um you know as kids you know we didn't have a lot of entertainment the, the local bowling alley was where we went and top golf is kind of like that with a golf uh thing you know you went you socialized you you know you played a little bit and and you had some fun and it's a modern day uh you know in my opinion a modern day bowling alley of course it's much more elevated um but now they've they've added the golf com- uh, component to it and it's bringing in a generation of people that otherwise may not have even, you know, given golf a consideration that might now come out and play a few times right. or socialize a few times and say, hey, you know what, uh, I want to maybe give this a try. So let me ask you um, a question about Black Girls Golf. You've had a chance now to, to run it for a few years and, and, and sort of get your feet wet in that. What has been some of the feedback that you're getting from the women that are participating you know, it's so funny you ask that. So I have an online community called the Black Girls Golf Clubhouse, and that is where women from across the country can connect to each other. They can um, share their experiences. They can share tips and resources. And recently I asked those women, like, give me three words you thought of when you heard about or learned about black girls golf. And it's so funny that a lot of the women, um, some of the words they use were access. A few women said, finally, um, Mm -hmm. you know, some of the women said sisterhood. So 
for the most part, it's really the golf is secondary. What's really, really mm-hmm. important and, and what I try to do um, or what I try to make a priority is building community because I think that, for number one, women don't do anything by themselves really. They, we're, we're social creatures, and we like to have our right. friends with us when we do things. And I wanted to be able to build a community where if by chance I decided I wanted to pick up a golf club, I wouldn't have to do it alone because this is something that's intimidating to me. So yes. what was what's always been a priority is building the community. And I think one of the things golf does for people in general, men or women, young or old, it gives you a sense of confidence. Standing up on the tee box when everyone's watching, Mm-hmm. It kind of makes you dig your heels in and decide if you're going to do this or you're not. Like, right. <laughs> you know, what's going to happen when I swing this club and everyone's watching? And I think it builds a sense of confidence and focus that you can't get with other sports. And doing that by yourself is huge. And so having someone with you that you know is going to support you and encourage you and kind of be with you on the journey because learning to play golf is not something that you can check off of a to-do list. It's a process. And no one's going to go through that process alone. You have to have people who are willing to go out on the course with you, who are willing to support you and encourage you through this process. So building the community was kind of one of the key factors that I knew had to be part of black girls golf. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I couldn't have put it any better. That was fantastic. You know, you're exactly right. Um, And, and, you know, this is the kind of thing that the industry really needs to pay close attention to, Um, you know, listening to what people want, you know, one of the criticisms, and I've said this many, many times on the show. In fact, I even talked a little bit about this earlier in uh, my, my first segment coaches corner um, where we have a panel discussion. I talked about really, how, you know, we have to, to listen um, as instructors to our students and, and treat them individually. One of the problems that the industry has done for a long time, uh, especially in, in the last decade or so, is they've sort of pigeonholed everybody into the same swing method or the same theory, and everybody needs to sort of play the same, you know, follow this uh, route here or follow that route. And the problem is we're all different shapes and sizes and all different athletic abilities. So what might work for you may not work for me and vice versa. And I think the only way you can truly understand, um, you know, and you know this from being in corporate America, is you need to understand your audience. And if you're not listening and if you're sort of dictating and and navigating what your will or your um, theories are all the time and you're not listening to what the people are, are, are actually saying out there, then they're going to start dropping away. And that's really, you know, we hear all kinds of things. I'm sure you've heard this about the industry is on a decline and, and, you know, it's had uh, a lot of people gone. Well, part of it is, of course, the older generation is, is not playing as much and that sort of thing. But the newer, younger generation uh, is not grappling to golf because of stereotypes, um, because of um, a really, in my opinion, poor marketing. Um, you know, they're spending millions of dollars with the latest, greatest equipment, especially the driver on hitting it further, but they're not really getting right. out to the communities and saying, this is something that you need to be involved with. And this is something that's going to have to change. So I like the fact that you've taken on this task um, to really educate 
the, the women in your community to saying, hey, this is for us too. It's not just for this person over here or that person over there because they fit in a different mold than what maybe we might fit in. And what I would say, and I, you probably I'm sure have already done this, but what I would suggest to the black women in your groups is to do not only just to, to become part of the game, but actually if the opportunity presents itself, go and actually physically watch um, a professional event. If it's in your area, um, you know, even if it's just for a few hours, you know, you can, I mean, you can get tickets relatively cheap now at most of the events and go watch. Um, obviously for the ladies, I would suggest an LPJ event and actually go to the event. Don't watch it on TV. I mean, that's great too, but it's not as interesting because you're listening to the commentators but being all the there time. Is so different. But I, yeah, it is. And you know, if you've been there yourself, it's an entirely different experience. And I'm going to share a very quick thing and then, then I'll move on. My sister for years, hated golf. You used to watch, you know, me watching it on TV and would sit there like an, an armchair architect criticizing how stupid the game was and so on and so forth. And I finally got upset with her one day and I said, look, Nancy, I said, you need to get out there and you need to try this game yourself before you criticize it. Well, of course she's hooked now, but you know, at the time she never actually got out there. And of course she's been to an event. Um, <clears throat> you know, she's been out and played, she plays corporately. She works for a major bank and she actually enjoys golf. But if she never took that first step, then it would have never happened probably to this day. So I would encourage your members to do just that is you know, obviously come out and play and, and, and get in, in the group environment. But if the opportunity presents itself, go to an event that may be in your local area and, and see it live. Um, I think you'll have a greater appreciation about the game in itself. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Let me let me ask you a question, just sort of on the theme of what we were talking about before, with some of the feedback. Um, I'm sure you've probably had some of the uh, ladies that are that are playing and, and active in your uh, Black Girls Golf groups um, say to you, you know, I sort of came in on this on my own, and now some of my friends are playing. Uh, maybe share a quick story if you can uh, on that level. Have uh, Have you had some feedback in that area as well, where? some of the people that originally got into it have now encouraged others to join in as well. It's so funny. We just had an event uh, on Sunday um, at the driving range. We had 37 women out at the driving range. We had a DJ out there. Like, we, we made it fun. And it was mm -hmm. a family event. I told the women, bring your lawn chairs. We were out there for three hours. And we had a really good time, and a lot of those women, the way I, I build my events is if you're paying to purchase a ticket to one of our, our events, you can buy an individual ticket or you can buy a bring-a-friend mm. ticket, which saves you a little bit of money because oh, wow. I want to encourage them to bring their friends out with them. And we had so many women on Sunday who brought friends with them who had never played before. And the, the PGA right. member that I work with during this event um, Justin Martin, great guy out at John A. White. Uh, it's a public uh, golf course. He was he was there, and for women who were struggling or who had just come with a friend and had never touched a golf club before, he was there to offer a little bit of instruction on the range. Mm -hmm. It was just an, an awesome time, and I try to host events that encourage people to bring a friend and to just try it out, just test it, and I try to do it in an environment that it's fun and mm -hmm. has other women there where they feel like the golf course isn't such a scary, intimidating place. 
Yeah, you're you're exactly right, and and that's that's the key. Is I think that we have to make the game um, fun again. It, it you know it's great to watch the competitors, to watch the professionals on TV, but if if people's perception of golf is that you have to be a professional to play it, uh, you know I can't just go out there and hack around the golf course and have fun because I'm going to make a fool of myself. Um, you know, people are not going to want to certain, like you said earlier, you know, um, one of the things about tennis or even basketball is, you know, I can go to a, a, a sporting goods store and for $15, I can buy a tennis racket and maybe a few dollars more. I can buy a sleeve of tennis balls and I can, if I want, I can hit them against the wall and have a little match myself. Golf, you can't do that. So it's still very challenging right. for many. So we need, we need to make it more accessible. Um, we need to make it certainly more fun. Uh, and enjoyable, and make it an event. You know, make your own event, and I think it's fantastic. Um, People you know, gasped what you're when doing. I said I was going to have a DJ at the driving range. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, hey, you know, it has to be fun. And and this is this is not a direct quote, but one of the women who was there, she stopped me and she said, you know, I am so happy right now. She's like, I can be me like the music yep. there's other black women here she's like i'm yep. really just having the best time yes i agree um tiffany i you know i hate to say this but we're we're actually running out of time and and i've i really thoroughly enjoyed our conversation tonight you know it's i i'm a firm believer in no matter what you do i mean i've been in the golf industry for a long time and, and played this great game since since age seven and i'm in my uh mid almost mid 50s here so i played for quite a while and i'm a firm believer that in order to really truly grow the game um you have to be willing to be diversified and you have to be willing to um seek out new challenges and you have to be willing to admit that there's always something new that you can learn i think if you go into anything regardless whether it's golf or something else thinking that you know everything and are not willing to grow and change then you become stagnant and and you just don't really grow as a person. So I like that you've taken on this challenge. So what I'd like to do is this, is I'd like to invite you back again. I'll have you back in the new year, of course, um, when your schedule permits, and we'll carry on this conversation. And maybe you can invite um, some of your uh, young ladies that are in the Black Girls Golf programs and talk about how it's changed the way that they see the game, but also – what it's done for them, maybe some business types and maybe just some regular uh, ladies out there that are just going out there for a social event. Um, would you be willing to do that? Oh, that would be awesome. I would love that. Well, perfect. We'll set that up. But in the meantime, uh, I'd like for you to share, for those tuning into the show tonight, where they can go. Um, obviously, I know you have a website and that, where they can go to learn more information or if they want to be uh, become involved in the Black Girls Golf programs, uh, how they can go about doing that. You can find us on the web at blackgirlsgolf.net, and we have a new website coming soon that is going to um, offer golf instructors direct access to our members for scheduling lessons. So if you're a golf instructor, please make sure um, you contact us. You can contact me directly, Tiffany at blackgirlsgolf.net. We've got a lot of new and cool stuff coming that is going to really um, create a, a pathway or a bridge for these women to contact some of our PGA and LPGA members directly to really get, you know, quality instruction. Yeah. And, and I think, and, and that 
that's fantastic. And I think it's just what you've done, Tiffany, I think is, is fa- phenomenal. I mean, um, you know, here you are, you've, you're in excess of 3,000 members in 35 states and seven countries. I mean, that's just, um, you know, you're already building a bridge in your community um, to really get them involved. And I, I have no doubt by this time next year, um, you know, those numbers will, will be even larger. And uh, keep doing the great work um, that you're doing with, with Rick at Clemson as well. And uh, I, I'm gonna, I'll reach out to you, and, and we'll we'll set something up to have you come back on again in the in the near future. But uh, I, I just want to say that um, thank you for doing what you're doing to help grow the game, and and really shedding the light to the industry um, in an area that really needs it. And um, just keep up the great work, and thank you very much for being my guest tonight on Golf Talk Live. Thank you, thank you for giving me the opportunity to share Black Girls Golf. I appreciate it. Not a problem. You're welcome back anytime, and. Uh, Love the city of Atlanta. I go there quite a bit. It's a great city. Well, you have to hit me up next time you're here. I will definitely do that. That's that's a that's a for sure thing. Tiffany, again, thank you very much for for coming on Golf Talk Live tonight. Again, it's been a true honor, and uh, I appreciate uh, all that you're doing and, and keep up the great work. Thanks so much. Have a good night. All right, you too. Bye bye. All right, that was my very special guest, um, Tiffany Fa- uh, Mac Fitzgerald uh, of Black Girls Golf, the founder, and just what a great, uh, great young lady, and uh, just doing a phenomenal thing to help grow this game. And uh, you know, as I, I said just a moment ago, really to to grow this game, we have to be willing to um, look at new opportunities and not just keep sort of, you know, refabricating the same things all the time. And there's so many. Uh, folks out there that want to be a part of our industry and to deny them that opportunity is really not only doing us a disservice but more importantly doing them a disservice so we need to open those doors and we need to reach out into the different communities and um, again it's not all about becoming uh, a professional golfer it's sometimes it's just um, giving somebody an opportunity to have access to a a game that we all uh, love of course Um, again one more thank you to the Coach's Corner panel tonight, John Decker, uh, Jamie Leno-Zimron, and, of course, Clint Wright, my good friend. Um, thank you, guys, uh, for all that you do on the Coach's Corner panel. And just a quick reminder um, for those of you who are tuning in towards the end of the program, uh, the Women of Golf show that uh, I co-host with my good friend, LPJ professional Cindy Miller, that airs uh, Tuesdays from uh, 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern uh, on the blogtalkradio.com network. We will be airing our final show of 2017 on December 12th. Um, and we'll be returning after a uh, well-deserved and long uh, break. Uh, we'll be coming back on air February 6th. Uh, but that doesn't mean uh, that you can't tune into the episodes that have already been aired. So uh, go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash women of golf and visit the archive section there or on-demand section as it's called and listen to all of the uh, previously aired shows. You can do that through the off-season. Uh, some great tips, some great guests there as well. And uh, also for Golf Talk Live, Uh, December 14th uh, is the final date for 2017 that that show will be aired and uh, I'll be bringing that back uh, to light on February 8th of 2018. Uh, February 8th, 2018 will be the uh, relaunch um, of the new season, if you will, uh, for Golf Talk Live. And the Coach's Corner uh, component, I don't have the date in front of me exactly, but it's usually the first Thursday in March. Um, I'll do a few interviews in February, of course, to get my chops warmed up. And then, of course, uh, in March uh, of 2018, uh, we'll re-engage uh, Coach's Corner. You want to make sure you tune in and listen 
um, not only to the uh, archive sections on both shows, uh, Golf Talk Live and Women of Golf, um, but you also want to make sure you tune in next year. We're going to be some great, great stuff uh, on both shows. Uh, Cindy and I are going to have some great guests. We're going to be really mixing it up next year. Um, uh, I just uh, can't emphasize enough. I hope you'll tune in uh, and spread the word. Uh, this is really uh, a game for everybody, and uh, we want to get you all engaged, uh, all generations and all ethnicities. Uh, this is a game that's not uh, exclusive, it's inclusive. So do everything that you can to reach out to somebody that maybe isn't playing right now uh, and invite them to the game or invite them to an event, uh, as Tiffany has been doing with Black Girls Golf. Uh, some great thoughts and ideas right there. And once again, thank you, Tiffany, uh, Mac Fitzgerald, for, for uh, joining me tonight on the Golf Talk Live. And last but not least, let me thank all of the listeners uh, for faithfully uh, tuning in worldwide uh, to Golf Talk Live each and every week. And, and as I say all the time, I, I really have a great amount of pleasure and enjoyment of having a number of highly talented coaches, uh, teach professionals, authors, and entrepreneurs like Tiffany uh, stop by, and it's really through their participation and guest appearances that have helped make Golf Talk Live a first-class show. A special thanks to some of the sponsors uh, and supporters of the show, uh, Jonathan Laird, South Coast Golf Guide. Uh, go to southcoastgolfguide.com and uh, see all the great uh, courses and information uh, in the southeastern part of the United States. Uh, you'll find it all there in the southcoastgolfguide.com. Uh, if you want a copy of the publication, you can reach out to Jonathan Laird. Of course, he is the editor and the owner of that uh, organization. Uh, he'll be more than happy to ship a copy up to you if you're not down here in the southeast. Or if you're planning on coming down here and you want to get the heads up on some great tracks uh, here in the southeastern part of the United States, uh, you can reach out to Jonathan again at southcoastgolfguide.com. Uh, also, Meredith Kirk, a great LPGA teacher professional, uh, former Mrs. South Carolina as well. Uh, Meredith Kirk, go to meredithkirk.com. Uh, she's a great LPGA uh, instructor in the Myrtle Beach area, so check her out as well. Thank you, Meredith, for all of your continued support. Uh, Nikki and Tiffany Litherland. Uh, Nikki and his lovely wife, Tiffany, always a big supporter of the show. Uh, Nikki, been busy here for the last little while. Uh, great uh, golf professional. Thank you guys for all of your continued support. Uh, Bernie Pinder from Ontic Golf. Go to ontickgolf.com. A great line of customized putters. Uh, uh, of course, he is the engineer and the creator of Ontic Golf. Uh, and the owner, of course. Uh, make sure you check that out. Thank you, Bernie, for all your uh, continued support. Sean Kelly, uh, thank you as well. The owner of LinkedGolfers.com, a great social media platform, uh, something that he called from uh, the LinkedIn network. Uh, Linked Golfers, of course, the largest golf community, over I think over 46, 47,000 members worldwide. Uh, he's brought that out to his platform, LinkedGolfers.com, so make sure you check it out. Thanks, Sean, for all of your support. And lastly, my good friend Peter Doyle from Doyle Golf Solutions over in Ireland. Thank you for all of your continued support. A great uh, teach professional, great club uh, professional, as well as a club fitter. Make sure you visit him as well uh, if you're over in Ireland, uh, Doyle Golf Solutions. Uh, thank you, everybody. And uh, on that note, I want to take this last opportunity to thank all of you uh, on the show and all of you tuning in to the live broadcast. Thank you. I look forward to seeing you next week right here on Golf Talk Live. God bless everybody.